I wanted to look at this verse in Romans 4 and verse 5 where Paul makes this statement that in the gospel, God justifies the ungodly. Being Reformation Sunday and in light of the series that we have been doing on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, I wanted us to focus our attention upon this central truth of the gospel that it is God in his grace who justifies the ungodly. Now, I'm going to present a proposition to you, and it is this, that Romans 4, 5, I think, is one of the most startling and yet glorious verses in all of the Bible. It is startling. You know, when we think about things that are startling, they are things that astonish us. They grab our attention. They surprise us. We might even say that it is shocking. And as we look at this verse, I think as we would initially look at it, it is shocking to us. It is here that Paul says that God justifies the ungodly. Now, as we think about these terms, the word justify is a a word that is often used uh, in the New Testament in in like a, a legal sense. It is what a judge would do when he pounds his gavel on his desk and he says, you are acquitted, you are justified in the sight of the court, there are no charges brought against you, you are free to go. And so it is a legal term and it has this idea to be right or to be declared right in the sight of the court, in the sight of the judge. And so it it would be like a formal acquittal in the courtroom to be declared right in the sight of the court. And then the word ungodly, he justifies the ungodly. This word is a word that refers to someone who is impious, someone who has no reverence for God. We read in Romans 3, there is no fear of God before their eyes. It is a word that... uh, means to be irreligious, acting in violation of God's demands, God's law, ungodly. You remember in Genesis 1, it says that when God made Adam and Eve, he made them in his own image so that they, in many ways, reflected the very character of God himself, the person of God. They were God-like. This word is ungodly. God-like, acting in ungodlike ways. It was used by Peter to speak about the days of Noah when God brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. The thoughts and the intents of their hearts were only evil continually. That's the word that is used here. That God justifies the ungodly. Now, as we think about that, we could see why it would be startling if we were the first time reading our Bible, that God justifies the ungodly. That would be a problem to us. Uh, A few years ago, we had Michael uh, Pullman here with us, and he talked about cerebral dissonance. There are things sometimes in our head that there's a dissonant sound from from it. Um, Dissonance has the idea of 
of chords that don't go together when you think about music. If you've ever been to an elementary band concert, you, you often hear dissonance, right? You hear dissonance. And so here is this cerebral dissonance that sometimes we might have or people might have when they think about this. God justifies the ungodly. On street level, this, as you would talk to people on the street, they would, they would have this idea about God that, you know, God justifies who? He justifies good people. He justifies people that are living a good, moral, upstanding life. And uh, that's who he justifies, people who are trying to live in a, a moral way, people that have worked hard, they've cooperated with God, and they're trying to improve their life, they're making a good effort. It's kind of a joint effort between God and men, and those are the people in the end that God is going to justify and accept into his presence. However, as we already read in Romans 3, what, there is none what righteous, no, not one. And so, on street level, talking to people, they, they would have, they would sense a dissonance here. This, this isn't possible that God would justify the ungodly. No, he's going to justify people that have made a good name for themselves. But you know, if you're a, even a reader of the Bible, and you know something of the Bible, and you seriously read the Bible, there's maybe this dissonance that we might have as well. And the reason is, as we would read verses like uh, Proverbs 17, 15 says this, he who justifies the wicked, here's God speaking and through Solomon giving instruction, wise counsel, he who justifies the wicked and condemns the just, both of them are alike They are an abomination to the Lord. So someone who is in a position of authority and a judge who would justify wicked people or would let off people that need to be condemned, they're an abomination to the Lord. And, you know, we we can understand that. We watch on the news and we hear about people in high places that do all kinds of things and uh, nothing happens. And we get upset about that, don't we? You know, that person should be going to jail. Um, And we see this on the news, people being let out that have committed heinous crimes. And so we can identify with this. Exodus 34, 7 says that God will by no means clear the guilty. Psalm 89, verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. When you think of the throne of God, it is, it is solidly um, grounded upon these truths. He is right, his righteousness and his justice. He always does what is right. The judge of all the earth will always do what right is right, and he is just. He is holy, and this is the foundation of his throne. Naaman 1.3, the Lord is slow to anger, and he's great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. And so we can sense as we read the rest of the Bible and other things that are said about God, about his holiness, his justice, his righteousness, and what he, can, what he says judges ought to do, we can 
say, well, this seems to be a problem here. There might be a sense of moral dissonance. How is it possible that the God who tells judges that you're not to, you're not to let off the guilty and you're not to condemn those who are innocent, how is it that this God then can justify, a legal term, how is it possible that he can justify the ungodly? So you can see why this is a startling statement in the Bible. Yet as we step back from this verse and we look at the book of Romans and we look at the immediate context, we begin to see, yeah, it may be startling, but it is also gloriously wonderful what takes place in the gospel. And so as we look at the rest of the context in chapters 3 particularly, why is this so glorious? Why is this, though it is a startling statement, why is it a glorious statement that God justifies the ungodly? Well, this is what Paul is writing the book of Romans about. How is it that guilty sinners, such as we all are, can be justified, made right in the eyes of a holy God? That's what Paul's writing about. This is the glory of of the gospel. This is why we've been talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, why it's so vitally important. And again, to understand it, we must appreciate the, the bad news that's behind the good news. And that's what we read in chapter 3 particularly. Paul is bringing the whole world, in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans, he's bringing the whole world guilty before the court of God. And Gary read for us there, here is, here is Paul heaven's prosecutor, making his case against Jew and Gentiles, against the world. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good. There is none that seeketh after God. And he gives this long list of things. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then he gets to verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Paul says that by the law comes the knowledge of sin. If you think that you can keep God's law and it's going to show you to be a righteous person, you're wrong. The law will expose our hearts. It will show us that we are not righteous, but that we are sinners. Paul, Jesus summed up the law in two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, 24-7. He didn't say that. I added that, but that's the idea, that this is what it is to keep the law of God, to love him perfectly and to love your neighbor even as you love yourself. Would anyone dare raise their hand and say, Pastor, I've done that. I've done that. There's not a one of us that can do that. And Paul says that by, by the law comes the knowledge, not that I'm righteous, but it exposes me before the court of heaven. And it says, no, you're a sinner and you are unrighteous. You're like a sheep. You've gone your own way. 
to live your life for for yourself, and you have sinned against God, you have belittled the glory of God. And Paul goes on to say that there is, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And this is true of all of us. This is true of all the world. This isn't just the Hitlers of the world that are ungodly. The Bible says that all of us are ungodly left to ourselves. And so this is the context in which Paul will make this statement. And so when we hear then Paul saying that in the gospel, God justifies the ungodly, as we come to grips with what he said in Romans 3, we begin to see, well, this is good news. This is a glorious statement, what Paul is saying here. Because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And if there's some way that he justifies the ungodly, this is wonderful, good news. And so Paul goes on then in verses 21 following to speak about what makes this possible. How is it that a holy God who will not compromise his justice is able to declare ungodly people just in his sight? Well, it is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we've been talking about for many weeks now. It is the good news of the gospel. It is the good news of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what the Old Testament was advancing towards. It was progressing towards. This righteousness that is provided by God in the gospel is something that was being witnessed in the Old Testament by the law and the prophets. All of this was longing for the day and the coming of the promised seed of Abraham, the one who would come and bring in a righteousness whereby guilty sinners could be forgiven and made right with a holy God. And so he speaks here about the work of Christ. And I want to point out there's just there are two words here. He talks in verse 24 about being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How can God declare and justify the ungodly? Well, first of all, he, he can do it because of the redemption of Jesus Christ. We looked at this word several weeks ago. To redeem is to buy out of slavery with the payment of a price. By the payment of a price, there is a release that takes place. It was used to to speak about someone in a slave market, and someone could pay a price and redeem them and bring them out of slavery. Well, Christ has redeemed us, and Peter says he he didn't redeem us with gold or silver, did he? But with his own precious blood, there is a price that has been paid and a price that has been accepted by the Father, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ. He has redeemed us through his blood. Then the second word that is used here, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, as well as in the next verse, whom God, this Christ, whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Christ has made a propitiation By his blood. The idea of this word, J.I. Packer says, this this word suggests to us that, that Jesus is the wrath quencher. 
he has quenched the wrath of God in the place of guilty sinners. We've all seen the commercials of bounty towels, haven't we? Um, and there are the children. They've met, made a mess on the counter and spilled things. And, and here, here comes along the bounty. And the bounty is able to soak it all up, absorb it all, and the counter is clean. And it's a picture for us of what Christ has done. Christ has absorbed to himself the judgment that is due to us because of our sin, and God is satisfied with what he has done, and he has received the full payment of our sins so that we could be forgiven by God. And God was satisfied with the work of Christ. It pleased him. He made full satisfaction to the law of God, to the holiness of God, and he's pleased. He's pleased to look on him and pardon me. And so this is the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. And as we think about this statement that he justifies the ungodly, it's, it's by Christ alone that he does this. It is through the work of Christ. And so what we see in the gospel is that at Calvary, we see the conjoining together of God's holy justice and love and grace. These things meet together at the cross. God remains holy and just, and he is gracious and merciful to sinners. And so he doesn't compromise his holiness. In fact, Calvary is a display of the holy justice of God. He will never wink at sin. And he doesn't when he saves a sinner. He has been satisfied with what his son has done. He has borne the full wrath of God in the place of guilty sinners. And so in Psalm 85, verse 10, I love this verse, mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed. That's what's happened at the cross. Righteousness and peace have met at the cross, and through the work of Christ, there is a satisfaction that is made for sin. And so there is able to have there is able to be this verdict that because of Christ and what he did, it is possible for God to justify the ungodly because of their substitute, because of the one who is their representative. And so it is by Christ alone, but we see in this passage, who receives this? Well, it is those who have come to trust in Christ. They have come to see what the Bible says. It's true that I am a sinner. I agree with God. I am an ungodly sinner. I have, I have no way of making this situation right. I'm guilty before God, but here's a Savior who has come into the world to save sinners, and by faith we lay hold of him. And Paul makes much of this in these chapters. He talks about that this is all through faith. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God that is through faith, it is through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says again in verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, 
to demonstrate his righteousness because of the forbearance of God that was passed over sins previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who what has faith in Jesus. He has faith in Jesus. And this is where Martin Luther had come to finally see this. He, he was doing everything that he could to, as he thought, cooperate with God and work with the grace of God and, and to merit some way the, the acceptance of a holy God. And he came to an end of himself realizing, no, it's by faith alone. This righteousness that is in the gospel that is provided to guilty sinners is received by empty-handed beggars. I can't make myself accepted before him, but Christ can. And I simply put my trust and my faith in him. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's received, again, by beggars, open-handed beggars. We come and we receive by faith the gift of eternal life, the gift of faith, the gift of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about this more again in, in next week. And we want to make clear that as we understand the gospel, it's by faith alone. It is by faith alone. It's not by anything that we have done. Now, Paul goes on in chapter 5 to speak about, or chapter 4 to speak about Abraham and the way in which he was justified before God. It wasn't by his works, but even Abraham himself was justified justified by faith alone. He put his trust in the promises of a son that would come, a seed that would come, and he would bring blessing to all the world. And he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Paul says it's the same for us as well. Abraham was looking forward to the one who would come, and we look back to the one who came. And by putting our faith and trust in him alone, we, the ungodly, are accepted and justified before the court of heaven. William Hendrickson defined justification in this way. He said, it is that gracious act of God whereby on the basis solely of Christ's accomplished mediatorial work that he declares the sinner just and the latter accepts this benefit with a believing heart. Or we could say it this, this way very simply. What does it mean to be justified? It means that God forgives sinners And he treats them as if they had never sinned. It's an amazing thing. That God forgives sinners because of Christ. And he accepts them before him as if they had never sinned. In fact, in the righteousness of Christ, they are seen to be those who are completely justified and clothed in his righteousness as if they had always done right. And that because of Christ. And so it's by Christ alone, it's by faith alone, and we see in these verses that it is grace alone. It is grace alone. And Paul emphasizes this, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace. It's by his grace. And so as we come to this passage, we see that 
It is in the gospel that God justifies the ungodly. Chapter 4, verse 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So when you go to pick up your paycheck at the end of the week, and you receive it, and if your boss were to say to you, I'm giving you this gracious gift, what would you say to him? Wait a minute. No, no, this isn't a gracious gift. I worked for this. Now, there may be times your boss will be giving you a gracious gift because maybe you didn't do the work you should have. But when you work, you get the paycheck. And so, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but it's a debt. But notice verse 5, but, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. This is how God justifies the ungodly. It is through Christ. It is the grace of God, and it's freely received by guilty sinners by faith. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We never could work and, and, and be accepted before God. It's grace alone, and we receive it by faith alone. Now jump back up to chapter 3, verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And then we see in verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he, that is God, might be just, and what? The justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is not unjust when he justifies the ungodly. He remains the just, holy God that he is. And he is able, because of Christ, also to justify those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's all of his grace. C.S. Lewis was conversing one time with some of the other professors at Oxford with all these philosophers and these great minds of the day on the subject of religion and they asked him what makes Christianity different from other religions and he said I can tell you in one word it is the word grace. It's the word grace. It is all of grace, the unmerited favor and blessing of God. And as we conclude this morning, what are some of the conclusions that we can draw from this? Well, if we be in Christ today, we have reason to humbly give thanks to God for the grace that he has shed upon us. Where would I be today if God had left me to myself? Scary to think about that. If I'm a Christian, God in his grace has made me alive together with Christ. He's united me to him. And even my faith is a gift by which I've called upon the name of Jesus Christ. And I stand justified in the sight of God. There is no greater blessing that God could give to you or to me than to stand holy and accepted by him and to be reconciled to the greatest and the best of all beings. 
And this is what he has done for us in the gospel, and we ought to be eternally thankful for that. It ought to also cause us to, to be humble. What do we have that we have not been given? And if you've been given it, why would you ever boast as if you hadn't? Paul says the mark of a Christian is that he glories in Christ and he puts no confidence in his flesh. Oh, may we be very careful to give all praise and glory and honor to God for his amazing grace. And I think one of the other things it will do for us is to make us to be a grace giver, to be a grace giver to others, that we know what it is. We have received grace, haven't we? And we ought to be people who extend grace to others and show grace to others and point them to the God of grace and the God of mercy. I think as we think of this wonderful truth, too, it gives us great confidence and assurance as believers. Paul goes on in the book of Romans to say things like this. Therefore, being justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What can separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ? There is nothing in all of heaven and earth that can separate us from the love of of God in Christ. Not even death itself. Death cannot separate you from the love of Christ. You're united to Christ even in death. And so it was for Bobby early this morning to be absent from the body, to be at home with the Lord. And so the gospel is about not is is not about who we are, but it's about whose we are. We belong to Christ, and He is our hope, He is our confidence, He is our salvation. And so we have this hope that is rooted in Christ. But Paul goes on in the book of Romans, and he'll finally get to Romans twelve. We're looking back on everything else that he has said up to this point about the gospel. He'll say this, therefore, I beseech you by the mercies of God. Have you received mercy from God? Absolutely, if you're in Christ. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. (laughs) This only makes sense that if He did this for me, that my body and soul belong to him. And every day I present myself as a living sacrifice to him. It is a call to us to be holy. The holy God has redeemed us through the work of Christ. And it only makes sense that we would seek to live holy lives set apart unto him. And as we close this morning... May I say to you, if you're here and you don't know Christ, you've never come to understand these realities about yourself and what the Bible says about your own heart, that there's none righteous, there's none good, that you have no hope in yourself of ever being accepted before a holy God. As you come to terms with that, and then you hear of this good news, that in the gospel, God justifies the ungodly. The call is to come to Christ, 
whoever you are. The worst of sinners are invited to come to Christ and find forgiveness in him, find pardon in him, and to be justified in the sight of a holy God. It is a free gift. It's the good news of the gospel. It is the free gift of God. And may you flee to Christ today, and may you live in him. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this startling verse, but it is wondrously glorious. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the Savior and the friend of sinners. And we bless you today. All glory be to our God alone. Help us that we might live in light of this gospel Help us that we might present ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is just our reasonable service. We pray and ask this to the glory and honor of Christ. Amen.